Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me live from New York, it's Arturo Zarita. We're breaking the fourth <laughs> We said that we were still going to be doing a Skype call, so I don't know right. how long that camera over there is going to last, but for the time being, we got these two cameras right here. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, we go all the way back to just audio, <laughs> right. ancient times. Like just the staring at our laptops bit. at each other. I, You know what? I just figured, you know, the commemorative <laughs> episode 46, that's yeah. when we should finally come together. I mean, it's a special one. Not everybody spe- gets, not to gets to do 46 episodes. So I figured, you know, <laughs> Let's this, make this it be big. Let's blow it out. We're in the same room, which is yep. new for us. I am in New York for a month, so that should be a month worth of <laughs> intercut episodes that we got together. And just worry about it right now if we have chemistry or not. Yeah. So uh, you you can be the judge. Let us know in the comments below if uh, this podcast thing is working for you. I don't know. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about the Oscars host, Emma Stone as Cruella Duvill. And uh, get to some Twitter questions from all y'all. Thank you for sending them in. Reminder that you can send us questions that we'll answer every week on the Intercut Podcast by reaching out to us at Intercut Pod on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever. Even email us, intercutpod at gmail. And uh, we will get to your questions on the show. But first, we start the way we start every week here on the podcast with what we've been watching. Art, what you been watching? You, Zach. Oh. <laughs> Outside your balcony, staring at you the whole time. Uh, I saw The Favorite the other day. I, I know you did. I all the way to New York just so I can watch The Favorite. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that movie's six acts too long. I uh, said so this is about Suspiria. said it about The Favorite. I don't understand why 2018 has decided to do, like, an, like four extra acts that it needs to. And you hyped it up. You said I you're did. like, yo, The Favorite's pretty good. I know you didn't I like Killing like the Sacred Deer. Oh, you're going to like The Favorite. I'm surprised you were, were so... Um... And I saw it at the Alamo Draft House too, so like we don't have Alamo Draft House over there. Right, so you got Palms, that with, the, with your beer and with your I meal. W- and st- Here's the thing. I wasn't the biggest fan of Killing a Sacred Deer, mainly because I thought uh, and it wasn't so much a dead pound, because this one he doesn't have the same... He doesn't write it, and right. neither is it his co- it's collaborator. It's the first Yorgos Lanthimos movie that comes from a non-Yorgos yeah. Lanthimos script. Uh, we were just talking earlier how it's like Phantom Thread Beta? Yeah. It's Phantom Thread Beta. I, I, Olivia Coleman, I think, steals the show. She's she's the best performance there. The other two, uh, obviously, the whole story being about that they're trying to gain... Win her favor. Yeah, win her favor, be the favorite. Uh, to me, there's just points where it just drags, and there's a point where I just did not care hmm. about the story that was going on, uh, personally, for me. I did not understand... I thought it was cool, the, the fisheye. Yeah. Lens, for whatever reason, I thought a bunch of the shots looked great. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden, it turns into, you remember Mrs. Maisel, where they just start like breakdancing in the middle of the <laughs> Jewish wedding? It, it randomly turns into that. Uh, there's a bunch of scenes that I think, in retrospect, are really good. Like when you notice all, uh, all of the different overlaying scenes, which comes to play in the literal final shot of the movie. Yeah. I don't know how you felt about the final shot of the movie. We always have this thing where a final shot of a movie comes, especially in a Yorgos movie, and you just go, you feel it. Mm-hmm. You looked at your clock. You know it's about to end. And you go, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. And then it ends. That's the stop. And That's then it ends right end. there. I know. Did it, you like that ending? I kind of really did. I it, I didn't the moment it happened. I wanted more the moment it happened. But it, I think it 
the movie that I compared it to when we first talked about it before you had seen it is The Duke of Burgundy. And I think it leaves it in a very kind of like Duke of Burgundy battling of, uh, you know, relationship kind of place where, you know, the person who's won maybe didn't actually win. You, you know, know, I wrote down the Duke of Burgundy when I came out of the theater. I completely forgot yeah. that that's what you come. Yeah. that's what you recommended it it's to. It's really, cool. it's similar. There are cool. There, there's cool lines in there, uh, in the script where like you go back and you realize that like Emma Stone said something in the beginning of the movie about always being in a maze, and you realize by the end of it that maybe the person or or people that you're rooting for or that you're against may not actually be the people who you should be rooting for or be against. Um, and again, like I do like how the ending is depressing as can be right for a movie called the favorite it is literally probably one and of the for most a depressing. comedy it like really t- yeah it's similar to the lobster comedy. and how it starts out very funny and then just kind of gets dark by the end yeah i don't know i would still say dogtooth is my favorite so i'm going to use the favorite talk to say that if you haven't seen dogtooth definitely go watch dogtooth yeah and uh let me let me ask you this though um so you said you really like the olivia coleman performance mm-hmm. for you is that one of the performances of the year you are you hoping that does well at the oscars and stuff by me well that would be a supporting role i would say obviously. she's actually being uh campaigned in lead okay, strangely well, that's enough because she's clearly a supporting role yeah. in my opinion um oh no she's going for lead then that's dumb then you're wrong <laughs> that is the literal opposite of doing a martian uh comedy right because you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot if she was doing supporting role then I would say she definitely has a chance I don't know of anybody else who is up there off the top of my head I think they're going for Rachel and Emma in supporting and Olivia but who else has supporting roles this year female wise that are like the biggest ones because when it comes to like the males uh, the male lead and female lead I automatically have like people off the top of my head and there's no way I can see anyone personally for me surpassing uh, Hereditary and then uh, everyone who's rooting for Lady Gaga so if they're going for the lead, that's going to be pretty dumb. If they go supporting, then I would say yes, because it's very rare that I find a character who I think is utterly and completely obnoxious. Like, there's that one line where it says, well, what if I drown in the uh, the mud bed? Oh, I just think it's hot cocoa. Yeah, I really did not care if she would have drowned in it. Right. So it's a performance where I'm like, you're annoying enough that it's compelling. Yeah, no, she. I mean, this is a character who literally eats cake until she throws up and yeah. then keeps eating the mm-hmm. cake. Like, this that's, is that's not crazy. a character that we're supposed to think is, like, great. Yeah. Uh, she's... Very, very obnoxious. She's, but her legs are literally deteriorating. <laughs> but she she plays it so funny. Yeah. I she's just just the madness of it uh-huh. and her screaming at people. I thought Olivia was particularly hysterical mm-hmm. on it. I thought also Emma Stone was a really good match. She was for the uh, Yorgos Lanthimos material. Um, okay, so I like the favorite more than you. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you've seen, or should I get to mine? Me, I don't know if you've seen this one. I only feel I need to mention it because like, we feel indebted. We had a little Amazon uh, hype party that we had a couple episodes ago. We had one in particular that kept getting recommended. Have you so seen any episodes? Okay, well, you see, I care about our fans, <laughs> and I listen to our fans, uh, the interviewers out there. I saw Patriot Act, and the opening title sequence is incredible. Yeah. That, is that how much you watch? <laughs> no, I think we saw two episodes. Okay, cool. I think cool. we saw two episodes. It's pretty... So, uh, I, I don't really know where the whole story is going to go, but pretty much you have this dude who... His father's like working. He's like he like oversees a bunch of stuff, and he's kind of like a, I don't want to say a federal agent, but they pretty much send him to apply for jobs, so he has a way of being able to smuggle money in. So if he applies for a job, like literally the opening scene, not to ruin it, but I guess to hype for the people who hyped it for us. Hyped <laughs> yeah, it back. I mean we didn't know it existed, so maybe so, you didn't so, either. Yeah, so you guys were hyped it up for us. For those who don't know, 
uh, like the, the opening shot is him trying out for uh, he's interviewing for this this position. He doesn't get it. He goes outside. He overhears him saying they're going to give it to the Asian guy who came in. So he goes outside. He walks out with the Asian guy. And then he goes, oh, you think you're going to get it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He's like, hmm, interesting. Bus comes. Boom. That's the opening. That's the opening shot right then and there. Just like that. So this dude does anything to get any job that he needs that will cause him to travel to a country. So with ease, he's able to take whatever money he needs to. And he's working under his dad, played by Terry O'Quinn. Oh, cool. Who I just saw. You got a whole box. Yeah. Terry O'Quinn's the man. Yeah, John over there. Locke. So this man still has it, and he pretty much is, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say like Jacob and uh, Esau type of thing, but he clearly has two sons that will do anything for each other. And it's not that he abuses that, but he knows how to use it. The one son who's the scapegoat who does all this craziness, and then the other one who's kind of just like the guy who goes, yeah, dad, what do you need me to do? I'll go, I'll go protect my brother. I'll do yeah. whatever you want. So it's a pretty interesting dynamic. I think I've only gotten two episodes in. Uh, I'm curious to see what season two, like, brings up. But I can definitely see the hype around it. Mm -hmm. So You can stick with it? Yeah. Cool. I'll get there. I promise. I promise. I will get there. Um, so I've been catching up on some 2018 movies. You know, mm -hmm. we're getting close to the end of the year. People are doing their year of end lists. So um, I wanted to see stuff like Crazy Rich Asians, Love, Simon, Ocean's 8, all these things that I, I missed during the year. Uh, the best of everything I saw was First Reformed. Uh, you liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I forget, actually, where you ended up landing on it, but I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening mm -hmm. in the movie. Uh, you can, For me, I feel like if you just listen to the script, you can tell that it's a very personal movie to Wall Streeter. It feels like yes. a movie where, where the, writer's like, the, <laughs> the writer is like, holy shit, what is happening in the yeah. world? I need to put it somewhere. Uh -huh. um, yeah, it's almost weirdly personal in that way where... The, a lot of discussions don't feel like movie discussions. They feel like so that's people my favorite part of the out. movie. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's sort of what's interesting to me is it's really, it's deeply philosophical and deeply um, internal about what's you know what's fair, mm -hmm. what responsibility we have as people as parents, mm -hmm. to what responsibility religious people have to the earth. Yeah, uh, I think. There's a lot of really interesting material there, and it's really well handled by Ethan Hawke in that mm. lead role. Uh, I'm very much in favor in of, the, yes. of the Oscar campaign mm. around him. Uh, so yeah, I like the movie. I like the movie quite a bit. It's a small movie um, and feels super personal, like I said. Uh, so I don't know if it's one of my favorites of the year, but I, I I'm thinking about it a lot. To me, it was one of those movies where it's like the discussion around it. Is so much better than rewatching the movie. Right, right. That you can have like a four-hour discussion just about like what you said. That one scene where Ethan Hawke goes in and he goes, "So y'all don't care about the environment, even though you're a church." Oh, that's because your money's coming from these like big pharma people. Or right, people. right. That's interesting. Uh, doesn't your book <laughs> say to take care of the earth? Uh, did you hear what the director said? Obviously, he's done stuff from like Taxi Driver to everything. To me, are you talking I, about the the stuff on Facebook? Is that where you put it? I, I think remember. so, yeah. What did you say? What the did Kevin Spacey thing. No, what was that? Okay, maybe we should skip over that. You, okay. you say what you were so going to say So pretty first. much I had heard, and this is just to like kind of cover about something. He was complaining about uh, audience members. He said that movies aren't bad. You guys are stupid. Oh, I think I, I, think I remember reading <laughs> he this. He said, yeah. you guys are stupid. You're the reason why there's bad movies out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, none of y'all saw my movie. And he got like really, really mad. And it got to a point where it's just like... He sounds like Eminem in Kamikaze. You never really want to sound like Eminem in Kamikaze. Yeah. 
Uh, I remember because I was he was there at at SIF when uh, I saw the screening in Chicago, and he very much talked about it being personal. How about he wanted to get all this stuff off of his chest and go in there and shoot the movie, and that he like purposely wanted it to be transcendental. He kept saying the word transcendental, transcendental, yeah. transcendental. Um, and again, I personally think that the ending is very obvious. Like, it's a, it's a it's an ambiguous ending that maybe isn't that ambiguous. ambiguous in my opinion, because it's like you clearly laid something out there. It's right. very obvious if you look at a certain door. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he leaves it open into interpretation, Inception style and stuff like that. But I think it's very interesting, uh, his comments on that, on like blaming audiences for not understanding a movie. I don't know. I don't, understand. I don't know what he said about the Kevin Spacey stuff. but I... Yeah, so the Kevin Spacey thing is, uh, I'll just touch on this quick because it's not really something we've yeah. been watching. Uh, he's got in a little tri Twitter trouble, the director of First Reformed over the weekend, for posting about how he got a script and it was a perfect role for Kevin Spacey and he wanted to do it with Kevin Spacey but that the producer wouldn't even entertain the idea uh, and something about how you know there should be a difference between like life jail and, re and art jail or something I, a bad look for a dude in the middle of an Oscar campaign uh, bad idea for, for everything he was pushing in that movie yeah that, that too that doesn't make any sense that too okay. Uh, so I liked First Reformed a lot. Uh, I also kind of liked Crazy Rich Asians. I didn't love it, but I thought it was really charming. I thought it had a lot of really great performances in it. Uh, I liked the bigness of the movie. I think a lot of times in romantic comedies like this, you can kind of hone in on the two lead people and everybody else feels like they're supporting. And in this, it really felt like there were crazy. 10, 15 complete characters. Rich. <laughs> crazy, a, a bunch of Crazy Rich Asians. Um, that being said, like... I, I didn't find the movie to be terribly funny. There were long stretches where it kind of yeah, decided yeah, not yeah, to be yeah. funny even. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, it's not for me like a standout from the mm -hmm. year. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed Love, Simon. I, I didn't want to. Okay. I didn't explain. want to after, like, how bland a lot of it was. But, that man, the endings kind of worked for me. Really? Yeah. All right. So you're putting Crazy Rich Asians over Love, Simon. I'm putting them on the same level. Wrong. And you're also saying that the ending of Love, Simon, that is the biggest problem that I had with the movie Love, Simon. What, the, that it's like a mystery or? Uh, I feel Love, Simon has been out for more than enough, so can we dive into this Yeah, the spoilers. Right spoilers. Let, let's do it. Love, Love Simon. Simon. It's on HBO Go if that's it's of interest to you. been out. I feel like the audience who have been wanting to watch this movie have seen it. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so the whole movie is about how difficult it is to come out, right? Yeah. That is literally the point of the movie. Yeah. We all agree with this. Did he not just force a dude to come out at the end of the movie? Either show up here or we won't. So when I made this video, right, I got a bunch of people telling me, you're an idiot, go screw yourself, yada, 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 go read the book. That's not the ending to the book. The ending to the book is purposefully them being um, private. Mm -hmm. He does it in one of those, like, the tilt-a-world things. In private, they do their thing, and they, like, find each other. Blue also isn't randomly kissing a girl mm. in the movie, which I felt was a very contrived twist. Right. Which I think a lot of people were like, well, you know, he could be well, bi and things like that. And it's again, stuff like maybe that. Maybe I'm not one to speak the of The stuff it. like that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. I, I, I honestly, like, some of the more emotionally saccharine stuff, which yeah. normally makes me cringe a little bit. Like, I, I just kind of like the relationship between so him and his parents. You disliked the beginning of the movie. I think that was the best part of the movie. <laughs> To me, so that was So between us, it's a good between movie. Between us, it's, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, no, I felt like this was uh, on its way of being like a, a 
and, and I'm pretty sure it is. Like this is this is a, a classic for a lot of people in in terms of uh, the genre that it's in. Yeah. But to me, like if they would have landed that ending and not made it as cliche, which is what a lot of people wanted, they wanted it to be the cliche big grand ending. But yeah. I'm like, that's cool. Y'all could have had. I thought it was gonna like. I thought it was gonna go places. I thought mm-hmm. it was gonna be like this whole grand gesture of love. And I will say this. While I do think that the ending is contrived for the twist, yeah. as it very clearly is switched from the book, 100%, someone did mention, and they, they did give me a perspective in where he technically is putting himself in a position of showing the biggest gesture of love because if the other guy doesn't come out, then he's fully embarrassing himself. Right. And after everything that he had the other guy go through, that's his biggest, that's the biggest thing he's willing to risk. But I still feel like he's forcing the other guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this whole thing. Like, literally, and it's in the trailer. You don't get to decide. I do. You got to meet me by 12. <laughs> and that's all a good point. Yeah. I, I'm not... Like, Love, Simon is definitely not a movie I, I thought was mm-hmm. great by any means. I thought there were there were some cute moments in there. I part, it was mostly the family relationship that I just kind of found endearing by the end. The dad. Yeah. You didn't like the scene with the dad? No, I did. I, that it, was one of the best scenes in the movie. That, that was the, the those were the scenes that actually worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff with Simon just he felt like like not character. He's the same person in Jurassic World <laughs> and in Kings of Summer. Yeah. And in everything that he's in. Uh, do you want to touch on Oceans Eight? I know you've talked oh, yeah, about how you, yeah. it's not your favorite movie and that Widows is much better. I mean, I agree with all that. I, I started it and. There's that opening little bit where Sandra Bullock is kind of like, clothes. It, when, when she's like getting into the hotel and she yeah. steals the clothes and, and I was like, okay, I'm in, this it's looks fun. cool. And then everything else is way too easy for them the rest mm-hmm. of the way through. You want to know the thing that bothered me the most? And Got again, it. I think we're, we're way past spoilers. And even if you haven't seen the movie, I think um, it doesn't really ruin much. There's a very big thing and I want to say it's in the trailer. You cannot take that necklace off without a special equip. They take the necklace off, find it again, and the security, who's literally trained for one piece of technology, doesn't even question how it came off. Yeah. What? Or, <laughs> or why it's it's back together, because I think she pulled it out of the water with yes. it, like... back to yes. I don't know, there was a bunch of like little stuff like that, and there's one big twist that they do in the movie, um, sort of, I think every Oceans movie has this where you think we got it got it and good, one. but we got it great. Yeah, yeah the end one. Uh-huh. And the end one just really didn't work for me. Yeah. It, it just felt very tacked on. Mm-hmm. So It felt know. like they were only able to get one of the old members back, and it was the one dude who wasn't doing much. Right, right. Did you feel like literally Clooney's ghost was haunting the movie? It's, they are literally at his tombstone. Yeah, I mean, they they go to his tombstone. They have a picture of him. Like, I think the either... Cr- and they overly focus on it when Aquafina's like, mm. Yeah. And at a certain point, I'm just waiting at the ending when she literally goes and takes a martini. I thought George Clooney was going to come up with his Me espresso. too, and it, the shot, like, hangs. Yeah, it, it, I thought it was going to be some Nespresso joke. I was th- already coming up with it in my head. And, and I think it's weird to kind of, like, acknowledge that history and not really use it to get... Cameos from like maybe the two least famous members of the Ocean's Eleven. They cut Matt Damon. Did they? Like, see, that kind of makes no sense to me. Which is weird to me. Um, I don't know if Pitt ever did anything. Clooney's honest producer, but that's also sort of like by default. I yeah. want to say, I don't know. I think it's a little weird. Yeah. I, that all that being said, like, 
I think I would actually enjoy an Ocean's 12. I would. Uh, or a uh, 9? 9. Because yeah, she's already doing the list. Right. She was working on the list. Yeah. Oh, no, no. See, that's the thing. I am all for it. I specifically said it is just same level as the other ones. The other I, ones aren't I'm, great. I wouldn't say it's the movies. same level. I think they're, it's lesser. I think there's really? a Really? Yeah, I think it's lesser oh, well, than the other I Ocean's movies. I believe equal opportunity. <laughs> I, but I want to see a better one. I, I think yeah. the cast is there. Yeah. It's still... No, well, that's the thing. Sandra Bullock. Kate Blanchett. Aquafina. <laughs> Mindy Kaling. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Am I just ma- naming them all? Rihanna. <laughs> Rihanna? Who are the other two? Uh, Anne Hathaway. And yes, it is a complete and utterly stacked cast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the Ocean's cast is way too... Sarah Paulson. The Ocean's cast has Brad Pitt, Matt Damon... Uh, George Clooney. And George Clooney, like, as the, as the top three. Yeah. I would, I would argue Sandra Bullock, Sarah Paulson... Kate Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett are very much up there as as being Not to at the same Anne level. Not Hathaway. Stars. And Anne Hathaway. Yep. So. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, hopefully Ocean's Nine will mm-hmm. be better than Eight. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but that's all for what we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments down below. We're gonna get to our yay or nays, where we talk about the latest happenings in the entertainment industry. Starting with, we just found out this news. Uh, There's a lot a lot of tw- talk on Twitter today about the vacant Oscar hosting gig, how it's the worst job in Hollywood, how a lot of people don't seem to want to take it. Seems like Kevin Hart is taking it. Uh, Kevin Hart, who seems to not turn down a lot of gigs, uh, is your potential host for the 91st Oscars. So Art, yay or nay, are you interested in a Chris Hart-led Oscar ceremony? I mean, I know you're a huge fan of Night School, so let's just get that on the record. Well, Night a masterpiece, but... Yo, Kevin Hart, like, I don't, I don't want to be a snitch or bring up old stuff or anything, but yo, my man, my man straight up <laughs> overcame some stuff, and now he's hosting that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like, some people deal with that, and their, their career is done. Right. He's hosting the Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's like it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> no one works harder than Kevin Hart. He, yeah. I'll say that. I'll just leave it at that. Nobody works harder than Kevin Hart. Impossible. He, he works really hard. He's constantly putting out material. He ha- he's funny, and he's got his mm-hmm. own like he develops a lot of his own material despite yeah. being in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I I think he's got the charisma to pull it off. Yeah, why I not? Don't know if what he does will necessarily match up with the Oscars, mm-hmm. but who cares? I don't think it really matters. Yeah, I mean, you know, he seems more like an MTV Movie Awards host to me yeah. than an Oscars so that, host. So that brings me the only problem because we've had some. What, what what should be better hosts and what do they always do what do we always complain there's no reason for it to be three hours long with yeah. all that filler his night school was two hours long bro that was literally all filler so that's like the biggest worry that I have is that it can be that at the same time though Kevin Hart's best thing is performing yeah I, I would say he's a better performer than he is uh, when he's scripted and acting mm-hmm. so it, there's also the potential he's now kind of established himself in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Maybe he brings up The Rock for some bits. Maybe he, you know, has to be Oh, yeah, his connections with everybody. Yeah. I think that's where, if anything, it's it's better mm-hmm. to have somebody who's a little more in Hollywood than somebody who's just a comedian. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, it definitely could isn't the worst host yeah. they could no. pick. And if you want the funny monologues and stuff, you go watch those other two at the Spirit Awards. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Emma Stone has been cast as Cruella DeVille in a live-action movie that just announced a new director. 
Craig Gillespie of I, Tanya is set to direct Emma Stone and the 101 Dalmatians in a movie that's being described as having a punk edge. Art, yay or nay, you want to see the 101 punk Dalmatians? No. <laughs> see, I have not liked absolutely any of the live-action remakes. Yeah. Do you remember the live-action 101 Dalmatians? I think it came out when we yeah, were Yeah, but like that's young. different, though. Yeah, yeah. With blank clothes? Yeah. That's different. It, I, I agree. I just, I'm remembering that that's a thing yeah. now. See, that's the one I know, though. Yeah. Like, that's the one I know. That's the one I grew up with. That's the one that they had Not the cartoon hop. <laughs> no, it was that one. Like, I'm aware of the of the uh, animated one, but I, yeah. I, I, like, I remember the Glenn Close one. Like, that's what I know Glenn Close as. Right. Being Cruella DeVille. Same. Um, I feel like this is going down the same path of it's going to be, like, beat for beat. Like, okay, cool. I just, it's gotten to the point where you know all the dogs are going to be animated. Like, super animated. Yeah. We already got Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> you I saw the Lion King one. That's cool. The only thing I'm excited for, the cast looks stacked. Um, it's really cool to see the same actors that were... Ex- yeah, they already did it. That's dope. Yeah. Uh, is it really live action? It's mostly CGI. Jungle Book, mostly CGI. Yeah. Cinderella one, didn't really care for it. All, these, all of these. Uh, Lion King only has me intrigued because of the soundtrack. The rumors of the soundtrack. That may not even be a thing. Yeah. I'm intrigued by Lion King a little bit, mostly with the cast, but... Aside from that, like these just don't really work for me. These live-action Disney ones, these remakes, uh-huh. and I don't know. I feel like it, the a lot of the charm in the original animated one mm-hmm. is like fun little puppy gags, and a lot of the charm in the original live-action mm-hmm. one is, oh my god, look at all these puppies! Mm-hmm. Like, what's the I, I like seeing dogs. I don't know if I need to see like a bunch of CGI dogs. It's not, I don't know if the same cute factor is there, you know? If it's based off of Cruella, it doesn't I mean like half of the running time is going to be her cutting up dogs. So, I mean, so I don't know how it, punk we're getting <laughs> with it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Emma Stone could be a fun choice. Yeah. She seems young, but... Way too young, I feel, to play Cruella DeVille. I don't okay. even know how Cruella DeVille is supposed to be. Yeah. So I guess that really doesn't matter. But yeah. I, I, I just think it's kind of pointless. Yeah. In my opinion. But uh, Disney will make a lot of money off it, though. Mm. For the new streaming service. So. Yeah. Disney Plus. Between Two Firms, the awkward Funny or Die interview series that has featured actors such as Brad Pitt and politicians such as Barack Obama, is being adapted into a movie that's already filming. Scott Ackerman, the co-creator of the series, is directing with Zach Galifianakis leading, uh, and many celebrities have already been seen filming for it, including Peter Dinklage. Art, yay or nay, you're curious about a Between Two Ferns movie. No. No? Not at all? Do you like Between Two Ferns? I've only seen like the snippets that are on YouTube. I mean, that's what like I want all to see there a, is. Right, what I, what I want to see a Letterman movie. If it's good. Why? Isn't it just an interview series? Well, so I'm assuming they won't do just an interview for 90 minutes. So then it's not between two friends. I think it's his character. That, like, obnoxious Zach Galifianakis, like, weird interviewer character. So his Borat. Yes, I think it's going to be, like, his Borat. Oh, okay. But That's with, more interesting. between two friends. Yeah. 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 I'm there for it. I mean, you know, we haven't really gotten, like, a good, wacky Zach Galifianakis role in I guess. 10 years. But, but isn't Between Two Friends, is that scripted? I think so, yeah. Oh. Uh, because, like, Borat, 
isn't scripted. Yeah. But that's what makes it funnier. Yeah. Everyone knows what Zach Galifianakis looks like. Like, there's no way he can just exactly. know, go out in public and just be like, oh, yeah, I don't know who I am because it's not going to be just as funny. Right. So, I don't know. I feel like I always thought that they were unscripted, like the stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more like the Eric and Andre show mm-hmm. where he. Uh, Eric and Andre. Eric Andre. Eric Andre. I like Eric, but I really like Andre. Andre's the dope. Andre's the Andre's the good one of the two. Uh, where it's like half scripted, but then he also goes so off the radar that like right. the guest has no idea. There might what's be going some on. stuff like that. I don't really so, know. If they do something like that, maybe it'd be interesting. Yeah. But, uh, I'm I'm curious. I like Scott Ackerman a lot. He mm-hmm. is in charge of Comedy Bang Bang, Bang the uh, podcast, which is very funny. Uh, I I have faith that they could at least make something that's chuckle worthy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's gonna be like a good movie. Yeah. But. We'll see. Uh, we're keeping yay or nay short this week to get to more of your questions, so let us know in the comments below if there's any news stories you want us to comment on mm-hmm. in future weeks of the show. But it's time for the interview, where we get to the questions submitted by you, the inner cuties, the inner cutters, the inner viewers. We're just having them all, all three yeah. of them, since I was going to say on the show. <laughs> Basically, the interfans. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, let's dive right into it with a first question from Cheyenne, who asks, what do you consider some of the most important post-black-and-white movies? So this is, I guess, you know, most... I want to narrow the question down a little bit, because that's basically, what, like 1950 until now? Uh Uh-huh. But maybe we go, like... There's none. Not one (laughs) has come out. Since 12 Angry Men, none have come out. Important as in what? Important as into like movies or important in in terms of like society? I think you can interpret it in t- any way you want. I think uh, some of the best movies that I would like only see once. Twelve Years a Slave. After all of the slavery movies, is still one that shines through not only in the directing of Steve McQueen, uh, in the filmmaking aspect of it, but pretty much the story that it's telling. Um, I mean, I mean, I think there's a bunch when it comes to Memento. Mm. Just to, just the type of storytelling, yeah. You know what I mean. Like, so that, that's a, that's like the thing. Things that change like, the game. There's a really interesting. You can interpret this question a bunch of different ways, right? Like important. Does that mean socially like relevant, yeah. or does that mean influential? And if mm-hmm. we're talking influential, like you got to throw Die Hard near the top of that list. Yeah, right? you got to throw any Spielberg film that pretty much caused e. everybody else to do things. Is, yeah. is and Jaws are yeah. near the top of that list. So. Um, so if you're if you're talking about like movies that impacted other movies, I'd say like Jaws, Die Hard, E.T. Seven Samurai, Black and White. Yeah. The Seven Samurai remastered in color because it inspired. The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> oh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's in color, so I'll pick that one as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I think those movies have all influenced a lot of other movies. Yeah. If you're talking like importance in terms of social relevance, I think that's a lot harder to mm. to pick out because I don't know which movies necessarily get like. The and there's going. different stuff. Some would say like Midnight Cow- Midnight Cowboy, right. right? That was very prevalent in teaching a bunch of people how to do cocaine. Yeah. So there's different movies that teach uh, people different things, and it's also like a snowball effect. Like one movie can bring in something, and then another one spirals it, right? Like John Williams comes in in a bunch of different movies and sets up scores. John Hughes comes in and shows you a whole dynamic of you know these high school mm-hmm. type movies that then you know spawn into what this whole craze is in the 80s to the 90s which then brings you Mean Girls and Clueless and stuff like that. The score is then evolved into Inception, and Inception does that one thing that, bomb, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's almost like John a John Hughes is like, another good one, though, for important. Yeah. I, I, he, I, Very I think he redefined a lot of yeah. teen cinema. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Chase, from a few mixed reviews, asks, Screw who has the most interesting brain in Hollywood? 
Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> he's got a good one. I think he, he has the best one. The best one. Yes. Oh, and uh, um, our boy, Sam Esmail. Sam Esmail Those is, are my two. is showing showing yeah. he's got I'm a pick my movie pretty, side, pretty interesting brain. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I can do. I can go one movies, one TV also. TV. Let's go Donald Glover. Oh. Because Atlanta is the only show on right now where I have absolutely no idea what I'm getting week to week. You got to throw in. Hero Mirai. Yeah, Hero Mirai. He definitely gets some credit yeah. there too because he's I agree with that. I agree responsible with that. for the That's visuals. And plus, you know, just talking about interesting brains in Hollywood, in the industry, the Donald Glover stuff goes way beyond just TV. Yeah, so. exactly, because it's music videos and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and going movies, I mean, I feel like most people would say something like Tarantino. I think most people would expect me to say Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Are you going to say Michelle Gondry? That's a good pick. I'm going to say Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, but my man's, my man's eating ramen right now because I'm Melissa didn't do so well. <laughs> See, here's the problem with that. I said this multiple times. People were like, oh, I got to be the starving artist. No, people are really starving. Mm-hmm. When I saw Anna Melissa, the man was hungry. Yeah. He legit was like, thank y'all for coming, for real. I really appreciate it. My man had a pack of ramen noodle sauce in the back. He was collecting coins outside. These people really do not eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Kaufman's a dude who like, Comes up with an eccentric script that yeah. turns into a movie that a hundred people see, and then he goes into hiding for ten years. Charlie Kaufman like, is that dog in the meme who's burning yeah. in, the, in the burning fire house thing. And he just thinks everything's okay. Right, right. I mean, t- to me though, the, to be able to produce, to be able to write, adaptation, being John Malkovich, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Anomalisa. Yeah. Like, what kind of crazy brain does that mm-hmm. all come from? Synecdoche, New York, also. Would like, you consider him Hollywood? I mean, he makes movies, doesn't he? Uh, if we if we if we're going like more mainstream, that's a little harder to choose. But yeah. Denis Denis is definitely one of the names I'd put up yeah. there. Christopher Nolan, I like too. No, I agree with you one hundred percent. I just feel like he's so far removed from everything that's going on. It's almost right. like he's in his own lane. He's got a Netflix movie coming up. Does he really? Yeah. Great. I Two packets of ramen, and you can make whatever you want. Austin asks us, what movie did you have the biggest shift of opinion on between first viewing it and your most recent viewing? So what movie did you hate and now love or love and now hate? Or maybe it went all the way around? I don't have anything that... I don't think I've ever had one that's that that drastic, at least not that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Or it have to be something that I haven't seen in such a long time. Um... Eighth grade recently, I want to say, like, I liked it at mm-hmm. Sundance. It wasn't the one that it came out clamoring about. Right. But when I saw it a second time, I thought it was, like, way better. Like, I thought all the subtleties that I missed the first time because I was expect. I literally, I brought you uh, Bo Burnham's... Uh, Zach Stone. Zach Stone is going to be famous. Go watch Zach Stone. It's going to be famous. It's fantastic. I was expecting something super loud, and it was the complete opposite. Yeah, it's a really quiet movie, a mm-hmm. really subtle movie. And if you know Bo Burnham's comedy, that's like not what it he normally does. It seems like does. the complete opposite, yeah. Mm-hmm. So seeing it's it like it's like Salon's movie. It's I don't know if you've seen Happiness or he did Wiener Dog a couple of years ago, but he does these like really awkward, quiet comedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think watching it the second time, knowing what it was, I enjoyed it so much more. I enjoyed this, the, I don't want to call them set pieces, but the 
the moments between characters a lot more. The car scene, knowing her specific perspective and the type of character she is. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing she does with the banana, the thing she does with a bunch of the other dumb stuff within the movie, and that whole scene with her dad. But what hit me even more was the whole, like, were you paying attention? She's a YouTuber pretending to be something that she's not in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And then it gave me a whole nother interest in this movie as I saw people covering the movie. And then forget covering the movie, just everybody else on YouTube pretending to be something that they're not. Right. Yeah, and there's a whole layer in there of the of the cringe factor in eighth grade, that again I didn't appreciate the first time because I was I, I underestimated Bo Burnham. Yeah, no, when you really look at that movie, you can really see all the ways in which she doesn't really ever speak as herself. Yeah, she speaks as these ideas of mm-hmm. people until the end. Yeah, and I think that's a really brilliant observation. Absolutely, of the movie. that's a pretty dope movie. Uh, as for me, biggest movie shift for me. Again, it, like this is a hard category to yeah, even think weird. about because I think you kind of think about the movies as you like them. Uh, for me, a movie that I saw and I liked, but now I love is mm-hmm. Do the Right Thing. Okay. Uh, when I first saw that, I thought it was a really stylistic, interesting depiction of a bunch of personalities in New York. Yeah. Um, now I see all the ways in which that movie is still completely relevant. Yeah. And the ways in which, like, it, there's a really brilliant Ebert quote talking about the ending uh, I, that I can't p- pull out of thin air, but there's just so many smart choices that Spike does in that movie uh-huh. that are that still feel relevant to the discussions we have around race today that I, I, I'm a little bit blown away that yeah. he was so on the nose uh, in that. 1980, mm. 1988, something. Really? That's a, that's a old movie right there. No, but it should be because to 89. this day. Damn. I thought it was like 95 or something. 98 maybe. Damn. Yeah. When did Malcolm X come out? I want to say 92. Damn. Spike's old. <laughs> he's, been, he's been around for a long time. Yeah, man. Sheesh. I, idiot. I searched Malcolm X trying to find out when the movie came out. And you got his day. You <laughs> got Malcolm <laughs> X. <laughs> what? <laughs> How did the movie come out before, right when he was born? Spike Lee really is ahead of his time. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, Chad asks us, what movie in 2018 would you recommend the most? Now, uh, we're going to get to a best of 2018 list yes. at some point on this podcast. So I don't want us to do what is your favorite movie of 2018. But what's the movie that you think, like, everybody could or should watch that maybe he's a little underseen that you would recommend to a lot of people? I mean, like, everyone already knows what I would say. Searching? Uh, Robin Hood. (laughs) Sorry. Jared Edgerton. No, besides searching, uh, I think one of the big ones you and I have been, like, slightly campaigning for, we mentioned every here and then, is Cameron Post. Yeah. That would be one. Uh, I don't know. I'm linking on a couple of other ones. Those, Those are, like, the main two. Um, I would definitely recommend a lot of people check out uh, Black Klansman. That's not okay. one of my... Sorry the, to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You is the one on, I was going to come up with next. And it's on Hulu. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, but, but those are two movies that aren't necessarily my favorites, but they have such distinct points of view yeah. um, that I think they'd be really interesting for just about anybody. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of people who are going to hate Sorry to Bother You, but they're going to remember no. watching it. Bro, no, no, no. <laughs> Have I told you about the left eye thing? I don't know if you have. Do you remember the group left eye? Yeah. 
in the in the movie. Yeah. The rebel group. Who's covered? Wait, what? Was an eye patch. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Oh, so sh- you should definitely go see Sorry to Bother You on Hulu, and you should definitely go see Hereditary, which I would say is another pick. You ready for this one? You know what the? You know what that signifies? You have no idea. This just hit me the other day. I don't even know if someone told it to me. So if someone told it to me, I am uh, <laughs> subco- subconsciously their stealing. Thoughts. Yeah. Or if I thought of it in a dream. Paimon's camel. Approaching. As it gets closer to the end of the movie. Oh. Interesting. Bro, that's jacked up. That's jacked. Don't watch Hereditary. No, <laughs> yeah, right? You're not going to fall asleep. Oh. Uh, uh, and this is something that we've mentioned a lot on the show recently, but Widows. Widows is a movie for everybody. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. I, I, I've over-recommended Widows to the point that people just won't take me serious. Howard asks, how do you walk on the line between film criticism and filmmaking? Do you ever feel guilty judging other people's work? This is an interesting question because I think mm-hmm. a lot of film critics get to a point where it becomes a little bit weird to be bashing on movies or, you know, disrespecting a film, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, you know, you get, you're at the point now where you're getting some producers talking to you and that's, you don't want to have an awkward discussion with them. Yeah. So how do you navigate stuff like that? Tell them to go screw themselves. I'm here for my audience and my audience only. Here's the weirdest thing. Every time you get that, you always get that thing where people go, well, why don't you go make your own movie? How show us better? Yeah. Give me the $10 million budget and let's go. Yeah. What, what did you think was holding us back? Yeah. What did you think was holding us back? I mean, there, there's that. There's like opportunity But you simply. don't even have to make a movie to give your opinion. Right. It's all about logic. Right. And and I think people often misconflate the idea of a film critic and a filmmaker thinking yeah. that they should be coming from the same place or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a filmmaker, their talents are in the interpretation of material to a visual medium, you know that's yeah. a that's a specific skill. Critics are communicators. You know they. Yeah. It, how can, can they I... break something? They're the ones who are explaining and breaking down something to you. They're the ones right. who are able to understand how it's received. I put it to you this way: Are all of us chefs? I know you got your blue apron. <laughs> I, mean, I know you got blue I apron. I mean blue apron. Right? So you practically think you're a chef, but. Just because you're not a chef, does that mean you don't know the difference between good food or bad food? Right, or so, whether or not something tastes good when It's super interesting. I was like, this thing with movies is so concrete, you can use that same logic for food. Right. You're able to decipher whether something's good or not. That being said, not a chef. I think there are a lot of film critics who are disrespectful of 100%. filmmaking. 100%. I agree. Yes. So we're not stick, standing up for that. Mm-hmm. I think we're both at a, you know, we're at a point where we try to be fair. We try to go yeah. into a movie and think, well, what is the filmmaker doing here? What are they trying? I think the, the thing is tone. You get some people who like overly nitpick or they try to like make fun of, you know? Mm-hmm. I've always been of the belief, like there's a bunch of directors, people just go like, this guy, he was out to destroy our childhood. Who are you? No, right. I don't think they actually care to destroy your childhood. Maybe they're not good filmmakers. I don't say the word dumb. Yeah. Why would they want, like, why do you, why are you acting like they care about you that much? They like they're really some evil don't. genius. Yeah, they just, exactly. They just thought of something that they thought was cool. It ended you didn't up being think it was really, cool. Yeah, it ended up being really, really dumb. Let them know. Yeah, you completely missed it there. They're not out to get you. Like, yeah. let's relax there. So when it comes to that, I'm like, 
No, I think it's all about uh, a tone, because like when we complain about stuff, a majority of the time it's just so, it's like we're disappointed. Yeah. I think that's the biggest difference. It's not going like, wow, you were complete and utter trash. Right. It's when you start telling the intent of the director mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and you start pretending like you can do it better. Mm-hmm. For me, it's sort of like, man. We we love the boy Damien. Yes. We're, we're big, big fans of Damien. Mm-hmm. But if First Man isn't like up to snuff for what he's done, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to feel disappointed. And yeah. that's not because of a, a lack of interest in Damien's work or in him as an artist, but... It's because it didn't work it, the way that Whiplash and the way that La La Land did for us. Yeah, I think again, it's all it's all a matter of perspective. But I mean, we also get to that point uh, where, like you said, we make critiques, and sometimes literal studios, literal producers will like it and flip it over. Mm-hmm. Other times, then they don't like it. But then that's where you get the "this is us" effect. That dude, oh, he'll take all the praise from the critics, and the critics really do matter when it's about this is us. Oh, y'all didn't like my movie Life Itself? You white critics need to burn in hell. Oh, they were black and they were women? Then they should all burn it. You cannot pick and choose. Yeah. yeah. So. Plug asks, since MoviePass is dying, how many movies do you see in theaters now? Same for me. Um, I don't know. I wasn't Yo, we reliant on MoviePass. Yeah, we need to hop you on on something. First of all, I don't know how all, any of y'all do it in New York. It's the worst. I mean, that's, that's the thing is... Everything costs so much in New York yeah. that, like... Well, when we went to go see The Favorite, uh, luckily they allowed us to do three easy payments of forty nine ninety nine in order to be able to enjoy the film. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand. First of all, just to get into the city, they charge you. 15 then bucks. To, then to, like, park in the city, they charge 30 you. 30 bucks. And then I breathe the dirty air in the city, and they charge me for that, too. <laughs> so it's like, not what? Like, all of your theaters here are, like, $20 yeah. for a 2D movie. Mm-hmm. That's it's, a film archive. <laughs> yeah, and MoviePass doesn't cover a lot of these places. MoviePass so. doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. I've, so I personally yeah. would say this. Cinemia, I think, is one of your best options right now, and AMC uh, A-List. I have both, and I still pay for a lot of my movies out of pocket when I go to film festivals. When I'm lucky and blessed enough to be able to get uh, a credentials, I don't take that for granted. I appreciate it, but I also don't expect it. There are many times where yeah. I don't get it, and I go, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to go get it. Uh, I'm still going to go watch those movies and, and, and pay for them uh, because at least I'm able to give my honest opinion on those movies. Uh, obviously, I watch a bunch of stuff for Let Me Explain. Um, so I'm still literally watching the same amount, but yeah. I'm blessed enough to do we, it for work, I guess. Our, yeah, our experience isn't comparable. It's different. We always say that, yeah. It's, yeah, like I... We're weird. I, I, this is something that I got. I got into an argument on Twitter with Stuckman once talking because he yeah because uh, he was talking about how you need to like see Chill. as many movies as you can and it's like you get to see as movies as you can in theaters because you're getting paid every time yeah. you see a movie mm-hmm. um, we're lucky that sometimes it, it's financially feasible yeah. for us to see a movie and make money off of it yeah so uh, one <laughs> how did it go I mean I got ratioed but... st- <laughs> what do you mean Oh, yeah, well, yeah, because he's got the biggest fan base. Yeah, yeah but I, I think I won. You got stuck with <laughs> I got stuck with nice, yeah. So, no, he's not going to be a guest on this podcast, is not, what you're saying. Not yet. At any point soon. Yeah. You know what? Y'all keep ruining it for me in the biggest. <laughs> no, but I agree with him. I, it's the same thing. I, that's, like, my biggest thing with Let Me Explain is that, is I understand the perspective of where a lot of people are coming from. You got, like, movies are too expensive, but time. Mm-hmm. And we're not even adding kids and family into the mix. Right. No, like you deserve to know where you're, what, what you want to go invest your money on, and know that it is a product that you like. Yeah. For the people who already know, you don't need to be told. I didn't need to be told to 
how I, I wanted to watch movies. Totally. But for the mass audience, people keep film fans keep forgetting the mass audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have to stop being so stuck up. It's hard to it's hard to always think outside of yourself, but you yeah. really have to when it comes There's to. There's not everyone cares about. Fleur Mabler and his new movie that's being released on like the 31st at midnight to be qualifying for yeah. cons next. I don't know. It's They don't care. Plug also asked us what our favorite horror movie is. Do you have a favorite one? The Others. Yeah. You oh. You know I love The Others. Yeah, I know you love The Others. Um, hmm. Eternal Sunshine is positive. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, we watched Jaws recently and that's just mm-hmm. so good. All right. All right. So I good. Take Shelter is great also. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian asks us what our thoughts on recent winners from early critics awards are and if there are any under the radar contenders for awards that more people should see. So, um, Like in the Hereditary? Yeah, I mean, Hereditary's been getting a couple shout outs. May I? It was a cold <laughs> winter's eve in the early of this year when I came out of Hereditary and I said, that people were getting baptized in their own tears because of how scary this movie was. I then went on to make videos about it, and I actually had named it my number one, if not two. I think I was flip-flopping it with searching at the time. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I kept hyping it up. That was the first movie I was hyping up before I got into the whole searching train of it. But I was hyping up that movie like crazy, and people told me, yo, you gotta stop hyping up this movie. Like, you're, you're, you're ruining it. You're just overhyping it. It's not that good. Now I have it in my top ten, and people are going like, "Wow, you're so predictable." Obviously, this is one of the best movies of the year. Y'all crazy. I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, so, um, talking about some of these year-end lists that have been coming out, uh, there was the NBR National Board of Review did their top ten, and the AFI AFI did their was top weird. 10. AFI was weird. So AFI did Green Book, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Panther, Can You Ever Forgive Me, Eighth Grade. First Reformed, If Beale Street Could Talk, Mary Poppins Returns, A Quiet Place, uh, Roma, and A Star is Born. Which, I mean, there's a few no. good movies on there. No, 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 like, it's a fine list. Here's the thing when it comes to the end of the list, everyone wants to quantify their list over the other ones. I just want to know why people like their movies the most. Like, what was it that hit them? Super corny to say, I know. But, like, everyone's super big on, like, no, this movie is better than your movie and stuff like that. I'm, I'm very curious. I, one of my favorite lists are the Under the Radar ones where, like, people have completely forgot about this movie or, or, or a movie that, like, you always catch that one in Tribeca or, you know, there's those ones at TIFF or something. So, like, almost never got a release, the ones right. that get lost on Netflix. I'm curious to know about those. Like, those yeah. are the ones that intrigue me the most because we all know that where you place Beale Street it's irrelevant to me. I mean, I, I think eighth grade was going to be that, but it's starting to pop up on a lot of these lists. Yeah. It's, it's not exactly getting forgotten about. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy to That's see. Cool. Uh, what do you think it would get? Because I feel like it's going to get script. I think, it, I think it's in for script. That's like the best thing you could possibly get. Yeah. Hereditary. I think, if, I think like maybe there's a world in which Elsa gets in there. What's but getting, I doubt it. What's getting the eight or nine? I mean, that eighth or ninth spot is probably more like a green book or, a first, or a first reform. Go. than off the top. Off the top. Uh, Come on, multiplex. Fine. Roma, A Star is Born, The Favorite, Green Book, Black Panther, Black Klansman. Did I say A Star is Born? Yes. Um, what am I missing? Are you putting Hereditary in there? No. It's not, not, not mine. The Oscars we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Hereditary gets in the, there. What, are the, what else gets in there? 
Uh, do you do you think a Ben is back? A beautiful boy gets in there. I could see like a, a Beale Ken- Street. I you know what I think it is. I think it's something like. Melissa McCarthy gets a Oscar nomination for Can You Ever Forgive Me and it also gets a Best Picture. I think it's going to be cuz the thing cuz the thing that's been happening a lot at the Oscars recently is not a lot of like one or two awards, it's grouped awards. So if you're already getting nominated for let's say like Can You Ever Forgive Me gets Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor and Best Screenplay. You've already got 3, they're going to be voting thinking of you for that fourth. So it's some, yeah, you got to think about what's going to get nominated in the other categories. I yeah. think. Okay. Mission Impossible. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> I want Mission Impossible to get nominated. For I'm not against it. Uh, and finally, Hayden asks, "Why did you decide to start making the YouTube videos?" Me or you? I he asked us. Well. I did it because I was tired of listening to the people that were on YouTube at the time talk about movies. And now there's a lot of good people on YouTube talking about movies. Wasn't really the case when we started. Yeah. Well, I started because he started and I want to reach out to him. <laughs> and two and a half years later, we're here and we're going to Sunday and 46 episodes later? <laughs> no, same reason. I mean, I've said it so many times before. Blockbuster closed down. I couldn't work for Blockbuster, so I decided to be the person who recommends movies at a bigger scale on YouTube. Absolutely, now yeah. I'm here. And, and I think... Thanks to Blue Apron. <laughs> Blue Apron's got us there. I mean, we, we're lucky enough to have joined YouTube at a time when there was a lack of decent even. I, I'm not even going to say good. There's a lack of decent film commentary. And Video essays fi- did not exist. If they did, it was just every frame of painting and nobody knew what to call that. Right, right. I, was, I remember when I was, was starting early. out, I was explaining the concept of video essays to yes. people. And now everybody gets it. So, like, I think we, in the last five to seven years, have seen... A big shift in what's been out there for uh, film reviews commentary and to reviews. Video breakdowns. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah. So uh, for us, it was noticing there's that gap there mm-hmm. and trying to fill it. I guess. Yeah. All right. So uh, those are the questions we received Thank from all of you on Twitter. Thanks again. Please leave us more questions. We'll start making this a weekly thing where we answer maybe two or three questions per week if we keep getting them for all of you. So comment below. Reach out to us online, Twitter, Facebook. You know where. And we will get to them on further episodes of the Intercut Podcasts. We're going to skip new to see because we just need more time for this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Oscar season. You know, catch up on stuff or look out for those awardsy movies. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why I came to New York is because I wanted to, like, see what else I can catch up. To be with you as well. Yeah. Don't don't, don't put that too low. But uh, a bunch of the movies that are coming out, like, one of the biggest worries that was missing that pocket of films that only comes out for like that slow period of time that are just trying to qualify. Uh, Burning, I'm hoping, gets a really big release for those who, because uh, I hate, I, like I, I liked Burning. Yeah. I love the last 45 minutes. There's two hours, again, we're dealing with those like six act type movies. But I hate having someone who's looking forward to Burning having to overly wait and having to see, go through this Oscar and not even know, what the, I don't know, am I going for it? I haven't seen it. Right. I wish that they got a little bit more of a wider release um, so I know with like Burning coming out, Bill Street coming out, uh, I'm blanking on a couple of the other ones, uh, Shoplifters, which yeah. I know you and I want to catch, different things like that, being able to be here to catch up on all those movies, that way we can have that concrete list by the end of the year of the things that we want to cover. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I There's a bunch of movies that 
you know, like I said, I've been trying to catch up on VOD, yeah. but also just the ones that are in only limited, limited, limited release. Uh, and a lot of those end up being Oscar con contenders, too. Yeah. So, uh, That's the biggest thing. Yeah, I, lots of cool stuff out there. I know towards the end of the year, we had talked about doing the Netflix bracket. Yeah. I think the, the beauty of this is, like, we do lists, but I think one of the cool things is kind of doing a bracket. Yeah. So any guests that you guys are curious having on uh, or specific brackets, maybe an acting one? Yeah, I know we've Maybe been in directing uh, one. I mean, we've been suggested uh, like year. LGBT movies in the past. There's, a, there's a there's I don't know. I think that would be a really cool thing to do towards the end of the year. Just a whole bunch yeah. of list stuff. It'd be whole the easiest way to do it. Yeah, a whole bunch of brackets. So if you guys have any suggestions, definitely let us know down below in the yeah, comments. Yeah, and especially section. if you got people you want us to bring on, let them know, and uh, we can try and get them on. As Chris Stuckman. Well. Uh, <laughs> his position. Don't remind says. me. Don't remind him of me of my <laughs> oh, existence. Oh man. Uh, let's do picks of the week, though. Okay. Uh, so what would you recommend people out there check out? I got three. I got a theater, I got an at-home, then I got a real at-home. Ooh. I'm going to start with the real at-home before it gets deleted. David Ehrlich has one thing yeah. that he does a year uh, that if none of y'all have ever seen, we literally just sat down and watched it. I've seen it twice <laughs> We sat today. down and watched uh, the last four years. We sat down that. and watched it as if we were looking back at wedding memorabilia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we were the, just the like, better time. entranced by it. Yeah, uh, he does this edit. This man's collecting footage toward, uh, like, the, throughout the entirety of the year. So be it, uh, he's a writer for IndieWire. Maybe you've seen some of his stuff. Uh, Popular on film Twitter. You don't agree. You know, he's not as uh, good as the, our great... Oh, uh, Richard Brody. Richard Brody. The you know, he, does, Richard he doesn't Brody. have the... As, the you know, he's not as up there as our man from The New Yorker. But... He does some good articles here and there for IndieWire, but the best thing that he does a year is this uh, little montage thing that he does. And the top twenty-five video, right? It's fantastic. There's a hereditary so cut. Yeah, what he'll do, which, which is, is pretty bit. special, uh, he's mashing up all these movies, and he's like a master of the match cut, in which one person's doing an action, and then he cuts to another person doing either the he same or similar action. Like on Final Cut, my man has every scene with a branch. With the left eye open. Right. Like the ways Pupils he... Pupils dilated. He, he does this series... He does this shot of Black Panther that cuts to a shot of Roma. And you it's won't believe so, that these like, two movies... like Have a symmetry yeah. within them. It's it's interesting. Yeah. He, he, it's really it's brilliant work, stuff. Yeah. Also using music that features mm -hmm. in these movies. Like you haven't really experienced Mission Impossible until you've seen it set to Shallow by Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Whew. And I disagree with like the entirety of the list. <laughs> yeah, that's not the point. That's the not order the point of the list of isn't the yeah. point. Just it's beautifully edited yeah. and uh, a good reminder of some of the great movies that came out so this year. So that's one thing I would recommend. Definitely catch it before Queen uh, takes it down because he does use Queen music in it. Mrs. Maisel second season comes out tomorrow. Definitely catch up on that. That is all. Yeah. All it'll on be Amazon out yesterday Prime. when this is up. Oh yeah, it's, it's out right now. So uh, I'm recommending that again because uh, we finished it as soon as we arrived to New York. You know, being in New York. You know, yeah. And uh, with season two out, I definitely am going to binge that. And I actually don't have one for theaters. No. There's absolutely nothing out. Shoplifters. I wanted to say shoplifters, but we didn't see it today. Yeah, true. So what if I say shoplifters, someone goes see it, and they go, dude, that was complete and utter trash. So I'm going to say Robin Hood starring Taron Edgerton. <laughs> because you're not worried about anybody thinking that's trash. No, because right. if you go see gotcha. Robin Hood, <laughs> that's on you. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I have nothing for theaters. All right. Uh, in theaters... I'll recommend The Favorite, if you're not going to go ahead and recommend The Favorite, because I thought it was very funny and uh, it's very subversive in the way that it kind of breaks traditions of most of these very stuffy period pieces. Like, it's yeah. uh, my review to you when I first saw it was it's a period piece for people who hate period pieces. I like how you review things to me. I do review them to you. 
Bro, you were on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but I'm, Why are you reviewing things to me? I get it. I love our relationship. It's great. <laughs> what? I literally get all your reviews. I feel like it just goes to your girlfriend and it goes to me. And the entirety of the rest of the audience that you built on, on Multiplex or everything, of nothing. Like you, you, say you, don't even, you don't even know. Sometimes you don't even bring it up here. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. I think the favorite's really funny. Uh, if you like Yorgos Lanthimos' work, uh, definitely well, see it. <laughs> if you don't like Yorgos Lanthimos' work, or don't know it, I should say, uh-huh. watch Dogtooth. Yeah. Uh, but if you're at home, there's a new season of F is for Family on Netflix. Oh, this okay. is the animated show led by Bill Burr. Yeah, it's uh, I've only seen a couple episodes of the new season, and it's been doing this kind of interesting thing in that now that there have been already two seasons of it, this is the third? This is the third season of it. Okay. Uh, they've introduced you to a lot of the different characters that kind of fill out the town, right? Yeah. And now we're at this point where, you know, it's almost like Simpsons-ish in that you get a couple lines from the main characters and then somebody pops up uh, that, that was a minor character on season one. And then you it's get a building couple... this lore of it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And there's kind of like a fun aspect to like really getting into that community. And it's like they built a town in this season which feels a little bit different than the other years. Uh, that, being, cool. that being said, the show is still pretty much the same in that it's a funny kind of look at a family growing up in, I want to say, the 70s. So a lot of the humor is very based on uh, the lack of political correctness yeah. and the lack of, you know, uh, modern child care ideas. You know, there's lots of threatening to hit their kids and stuff like that. But I think like what I like about the way that the show deals with the PC humor is it's not about making an anti-PC joke. It's about showing how ridiculous some of the anti-PC stuff is. Like there's a there's a it, it's almost like the the stereotypes go too far in yeah. a way. In a in a way that makes them funny again <clears throat> to me at least. So Okay. I'm enjoying F is for Family. It's it's a solid, like, low-key show for people who are into, like, that Bob's Burgers or whatever yeah. kind of put it on and relax. Oh, so okay. I, yeah. yeah, I'd check out F is for Family if you haven't seen it yet. Or the favorite. <laughs> but that's all Wrong. for uh, this week's show. Live, intercut. We're, from New York! Uh, we're going to do this again, hopefully. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter at Zshevich or on Instagram and Letterboxd, also at Zshevich. Thanks to those of you who have been doing that. Check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash multiplex show and art. Where can people find more from you? You can find me at Zach's address. The address is for <laughs> You can find me at the A to Z show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, let me explain as well. You can always find me here as well on the Intercut Podcast. Yes, you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on your favorite podcatcher. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment for all of y'all. Find new episodes of Intercut every Thursday, and please leave us a comment, like the video, consider heading over to iTunes and writing a five-star review or something like that. You can like our Facebook, you can like our Instagram, you can follow us on Twitter. Print out flyers, send it to everyone around All of those are at IntercutPod. Get updates from us throughout the week, from me, from Art, from our guests. I retweet a bunch of stuff on 
the Twitter. Caitlin's posting stuff on the Instagram. We're, we're keeping you up to date, hopefully. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, stop breaking the internet until someone learns how to fix it. You good, bro? <laughs> Damn, you felt a way about that. I've got to put a little yeah, emotion into it.